fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this uh, Friday. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you right here. I appreciate Pete Gillen for joining us last hour. Double B, Brian Benowitz from the Cosmopolitan. Marge store around your door. More of what you're looking for right here every Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Don't forget, get the William Hill mobile app as well, too. Easy to use. And I dove right into that in-game wagering last night when the Angels were playing the Blue Jays. Extra innings. Saw something I liked there. Got a little plus 140 with the visiting team. Boom, there it is. So, like you say, Frank, in-game wagering. I know, I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with it. You, you could have dove into it for the Masters and got your guy at 301. Stop it. Stop it. Can I still do that? I, I doubt he's 301 anymore. Yeah. <laughs> might be fun to look up and see what he is, though. Yeah. It still might be decent odds. The William Hill mobile app. Download it on your phone. Get over to the Cosmopolitan or any of the great William Hill Sportsbook properties. Use that promo code TC50 for that. And they'll match it with a, a free $50 in your account when you open a new one. That's right. Deposit at least 50 They'll match it with an additional 50 The William Hill mobile app. So easy to use. Easy to have. Go get it, WilliamHill.us. Can bet everything it. but WrestleMania. Yes, this is true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of these things you could bet now. I mean, before there was like taboo. You could never bet anything that was not contested on a plane service. But now, I mean, not allowing you to bet Grammys and Academy Awards. Well, the, I know they always the, used to put Oscar odds up, but you couldn't actually bet them. It was entertainment purposes only. Oh, yeah, but now yeah. I, I know offshores the, and other places offshores. you can bet that kind of stuff. So. Right, right. All right, I'll have to d- dive into uh, my Masters. Okay, we got a uh, Masters uh, update. We'll uh, get you caught up uh, with all that as well, too. But uh, picking up where we left off a little bit uh, from the last hour, wanted to bring in our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Covers the running Rebels, uh, not to mention many others that he covers for the RJ as well. Sam, what's going on, man? TC, man. Happy Friday. How you doing? Good. We're doing, uh, re- doing good here. We want to talk to you about the... The Rebels and the transfer portal. We've been touching a lot about college basketball, of course, over the last few weeks here. But, uh, Sam, you know, we are used to the turnover of rosters in college basketball when a coach leaves a program or when a new coach comes in. But this is really becoming common practice for UNLV over the last, you know, few years. Uh, We've seen this. And I know the transfer portal is a real kind of avant-garde thing right now. It, It is the thing to to try as a player and this and that, but it, it almost seems like it, it's out of control. But, uh, yeah, g- give me your thoughts when you, you know, not just the Rebels. Well, we'll get into that specifically, but just the transfer portal in general, the names coming in and coming going out, and specifically when we see coaches leave or new coaches come in and take over jobs. Yeah, TC. I mean, I think this is just kind of the adaptation of, of modern college basketball, right? I mean, players are are getting more power. It's been a slow kind of struggle up to this point and, and I expect that to continue to build and hope it continues to build where players have a little bit more agency over their careers but um, this is commonplace right like you said when coaches take over programs you got to think a lot of these a lot of these players aren't necessarily guys that they recruited so they you know whoever is taking over whatever program you kind of reassess the roster you figure out who you want to what players you want to keep and then it's kind of a re-recruiting process where you have to resell those guys on, on your vision and what you want to do with them in your program and then other guys it might be mutually beneficial to part ways, and then that's why I think I think a lot of all these names, uh, this this influx of transfers into the transfer portal, I think is happening obviously for those reasons, but also because it's likely going to be a free year of eligibility, right? So players got to step in in certain situations, see if things were a fit, and if they're not, you get to transfer elsewhere and, and go get um, and retain your eligibility and, and not have to sit out a year because of this one-time waiver um, that, that's going to be in place. So. Um, with that in mind, I think uh, you know whether it's good or bad for the game. I'm not necessarily sure. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's either good or bad. I think it's just kind of the reality 
now. Uh, look at Baylor and look at Gonzaga. Like both of those teams relied on transfers to, to, to get to the national championship, and nobody's complaining about that. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a problem, and I think what it is is going to necessitate adjustment and adaptation, right? And it's not going away. The transfer portal is part of college basketball. It's part of the game. It's part of college sports, and it's on coaches and coaching staffs and players to a certain degree to adjust and figure out how to what, what the best um, practice is moving forward. So, um, like you see here at UNLV, I mean, again, not necessarily a surprise that that the roster is turning over. And um, really, uh, I, I think I like what Kevin Kruger is doing. To be honest, bringing in bringing in uh, guys from Power Five conferences that maybe weren't the right fit, you know, specifically the Big Twelve weren't the right fit at their respective Big Twelve programs giving them an opportunity to compete for minutes in the Mountain West and maybe a better fit, better situation, playing in a different kind of role. So um, it's to be expected now. This is what you're going to see as long as the coach, as long as there's coaching turnover, and especially this year. And um, we'll see who continues to adjust and adapt and make the most of it using forward. Baylor and Gonzaga are certainly great examples of, of teams that, that know how to use the transfer portal and know how to um, and know how to build programs with it. Last week we were talking about Bryce Hamilton entering the NBA draft. Wasn't going to hire an agent because he wanted to kind of test the waters there to see, you know, if in case he doesn't get drafted. Now he enters the transfer portal, which is probably a very good move for him because he did build up his stock. I mean, averaging 18 points, six rebounds, and three assists during this season at UNLV. And now takes us to the total of eight players from last year's team in the transfer portal. And when you look at Hamilton, David Jenkins, Caleb Grill, as you pointed out in your article, Sam, those three guys alone accounted for 60% of UNLV scoring uh, this year. Uh, so, you know, it, it hurts to lose those guys, but I think it really hurts when you're like you're a fan to see that okay you lost your best player, and sure. you know when you see that you lost your best player, I think fans feel okay this is a gut punch. I mean, does this mean that the player doesn't want to be here anymore? I mean, how much of this is actually for Bryce Hamilton taking advantage of the popular thing and and going to a a bigger power five and hopefully trying to, you know, do what JTT did, you know, again, who left UNLV transfer portal a couple of years ago, gets to Baylor, wins a national championship there. How much of this for Bryce Hamilton do you think is part of the transfer portal or his displeasure with UNLV? Um, I don't, I don't know if displeasure is necessarily the word. I think to be fair, let's, you know, Bryce Hamilton, had he stayed, he'd have been playing for his third head coach in four years at UNLV, right? Like, that's, yeah. he didn't necessarily sign up for that. And I, I get that from, from, from where he's coming from. Like, he, he committed to Marvin Menzies. He already went through one coaching change. And now he's going through, a, you know, now he's going through another one. And, and, I think and you at can this say displeasure like for that. You really can. I mean, I, sure, oh, man, yeah, I'm okay, kind of sick yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, from his perspective, okay, yeah, that's fair to say. And, um, you know, he's proven himself this year at the Mountain West level, right? He's an all-Mountain West first-team player as a, as a sophomore, and he was all-Mountain West second-team as a junior in a slightly different role where, where he's more of an offensive focal point and is handling the ball a little more. And, and, and you saw that, he, you know, he had his ups and downs, but for the most part, he was able to handle the nightly attention from, uh, from being the focal point of opposing defenses and still able to produce. So I don't think there's any doubt that he's proven himself that he's a high-major player. And if he goes, like you said, if he goes to a situation at a Power 5 program at a USC, at a Kansas, at a Texas Tech, some of the programs that have reached out to him and plays well and they have some success, I think that only helps his draft stock moving forward. I don't know if there was anything he could have done here at UNLV um, that, that was going to transform him into a pro prospect right away or, or, or an overseas prospect, however you want to characterize that. But if he's in the right situation and, and with a, a, a staff and a program that can showcase his skills, I think it's going to be a you know a good move for him. And, and with with UNLV, as far as UNLV is concerned, um, it gives them kind of a chance to reset everything, right? He was such a focal point of what they did the last couple of years, and now Kevin Kruger gets a fresh slate where he gets to start over with a lot of the guys that he's recruiting again from Big Twelve programs. Him and his staff are recruiting, and then keeping the guys uh, on the team that you know there's there's still a handful of players, Nick Blake. Um, Reese Brown, you know, there's still a number of players, Marvin Coleman, that are coming back that I, I expect to be part of the fold and a big focal point of what he's doing coming up. So uh, it's it, it makes sense for both sides, and and I think um, you know Bryce moves on, and, and UNLV gets to reset and, and, and start over under a new coach. All right, Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, covers the UNLV Run Rebels. Um, Sam, with Bryce Hamilton. Where do you see him going to be a good fit? What, if any, adjustments does he have to make for his game? Because he has been the focal point, and if he goes to a Power 5, maybe he won't be. Hopefully, if they want to have a winning program, he won't be all the offense for a team. And 
what do you think is legitimate chances of maybe going to the NBA hour? Because it, it seems like every day we're seeing more and more people declaring for the draft. And, you know, the, the more that go in that might get drafted ahead of him, maybe the less likely uh, that he goes there. And that's why he doesn't have the agent. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for for him, as, in terms of, of advancing his his uh, prospects as a professional, I think it, it comes down to the you know shooting shooting the, the long ball, the three point shot. Right, he was never a great three point shooter, around thirty two, thirty three percent over the course of his tenure at UNLV. He's kind of a throwback player who's you know best on the ball and going to work from the mid range, getting to the basket, scores with a lot of floaters and kind of herky jerk moves. He's a very crafty player. Um, as a lefty, I think so. In order, you know, to, to your point, adjustments becoming a better shooter, especially off the catch, because if he goes to an established program, it's likely they're going to have somebody that's going to handle the ball, and, he, and he's going to be playing with more of a true kind of floor general. So, how can he get act? How can he get busy off the ball? Can he can he move better off the ball? Can he cut better? Can he become a better shooter? Uh, I think he's going to have no problem attacking closeouts and and getting to the rim and maybe having a little bit more space to work with if he's playing on a more talented group. But um, it's, it's going to be definitely be an adjustment, right? Like he's used to having the ball, used to being the, uh, one of the primary um, focal points offensively, used to getting to create all his own offense and having the freedom to do that. It's going to definitely require, uh, you know, the adjustments I think I talked about. But I think he's more than capable uh, of adjusting and acclimating to a, to a, a bigger program or a, uh, a better program, more established program, however you want to term it. Um, it's just about putting the work in and, again, becoming a better shooter and uh, and becoming more consistent from the perimeter. So um, he, he's a big-time player. I think he's proven, again, he's proven he can play in the Power Five or wherever he wants to go. It's not a surprise that, that some of these blue-blood programs are reaching out to him. He's really accomplished in the Mountain West, and, and it's, he's going to have an opportunity to showcase it at a higher level. Sam, you mentioned some schools that you feel that are interested in him. I don't know if for sure if you know exactly who is more interested in him or not, but what is your speculation or what have you have you heard when you were trying to, to, to find out here? Where could Bryce Hamilton end up? Well, the name I've heard TC um, most connected with Bryce Hamilton, and again, it doesn't mean he's going to for sure end up here, but is USC. And USC has historically – under Andy Enfield taking transfers and done pretty well with transfers. He's from Pasadena, so he's yep. from the area. He has familiarity there. He's a West Coast kid. And uh, and I think he could slide right over to, to SC and play in the Pac-12 and, and play at a high level. So that's the name, uh, again, that I've heard him the most connected with. But I know that, you know other programs like Texas Tech and, and Ole Miss and others are interested in. You've seen the reports of, of, of a bunch a bunch of other schools, like I said, Kansas and others. But, yeah, I, I would expect – um, my gut feeling says he stays out west, and I, I, I think USC uh, would, would, has an opportunity to to, um, to, to, to land him, and, and I think he'd be a good fit there with what they want to do. You know, being from Pasadena, we rule out UCLA here. I mean, Mick Cronin, or is he not really a fit there, you think? Um, I wouldn't rule it out. I think he could play for Mick Cronin. I mean, he's, he's proven to be tough. Um, physically, physically a tough player. I mean, it's, he, Mick Cronin would definitely challenge him defensively. Yep in ways I don't think he was challenged uh, during his time at UNLV, but he's a good enough player where he could figure it out if he decides on U- U- UCLA. But USC is the name I've heard more than, U- uh, than UCLA for sure. And you mentioned the fact, too, earlier that, you know, if he was staying here at UNLV, it would be like his third coach he's playing for. Do you think that it's more the school and the basketball program he's going to, or do you think that the coach at the program is going to be the final decider for him because he does want to go someplace where he's going to play for a guy that he can play for and that he wants to be with instead of constantly juggling around wondering who's coaching me this this season? Uh, yeah, I imagine probably a little bit of both, right? Like, it's it's about basketball, you know, at, at the end of the day. It's going to be about what's the best basketball situation for him, but it's also about lifestyle, too, and where does he feel most comfortable and where is he going to be the happiest away from the basketball court. And I think there are probably a number of programs that could offer him um, spots and, and guaranteed playing time and, and minutes and quality coaching. But for him, it's just about finding the right fit for, yeah, where, where can he grow as a player, but where also where can he be comfortable, um, you know, from a lifestyle perspective. And, and, and again, you know, it endured a lot of turnover here in Vegas, stuck it out, um, had opportunities to leave at earlier times and, and didn't, and gave the school really uh, two, two really good years, two, two of the best years uh, by any individual player in recent memory. So uh, he, he, he paid his dues at UNLV and, and is going to go find what, what he deems is a better situation. 
So Kevin Kruger obviously comes from Oklahoma uh, under Lon Kruger there a couple of years ago, as we know. He hires basically his, his chief uh, assistant, uh, Lon Kruger's chief assistant at Oklahoma. So it makes a lot of sense that they would be looking at a lot of these Pac-12 kids, as you mentioned, Sam. And we know that the as of right now, the Rebels have added four players. Uh, Jordan McCabe from, from West Virginia, uh, Royce Ham from Texas, and uh, Victor Uwakafor from uh, Oklahoma, who came off of Long Kruger's bench there. And then today we just got word that they, they added uh, uh, another kid from Texas as well, too. I'm with you. I like the direction they're going here. I love the familiarity that Kevin Kruger and Hartman and these guys have with these players, and this could turn out to be a good fit. But on paper, where these kids have come from by playing in the NCAA tournament, even though, let's be honest, I mean, these kids really weren't significant pieces of these teams, but sure. they're all very, very young, and I do. I agree with you. I like where they're going with uh, with this, and I like the way that Kevin is building his, his, his team you know, through this and also the assistant coaches he's picked up. Uh, me too. Me too. I think um, I think he's doing an excellent job so far. I mean, his you know, Carlin Hartman, his, his chief assistant, is is regarded was regarded as one of the best recruiters in the Big Twelve, and and you saw the the, the kind of talent they had at Oklahoma, where they, they there were NBA guys that were there under his watch, and and some really good college players that him and Lon and the rest of that staff developed, and you know, a lot of familiarity down there in the Big Twelve. And when, when you kind of look at the transfer portal, I mean, I think a couple things go into it, right? You have to look at why guys are transferring. So why are these guys? leaving Power 5 programs, well, it's because they, it wasn't an ideal situation for them and there's going to be more minutes, more opportunity here at UNLV. And, and, and I think that bodes well for UNLV given that these guys, yeah, they didn't play up to maybe their, their rankings. A number of them in the top 100, you know, four-star four star guys that, that had a, a gluttony of, of high major offers, right? Sometimes your first situation isn't your best situation, but, but given that there is upside there, it makes sense that the Rebels want to tap into guys that, hey, like they can offer more minutes, more a uh, more significant role, more playing time, and, and and it gives their staff an opportunity to tap into some of that four, you know, that four star, that top tier talent. There's a reason these guys were at these Big Twelve schools in the first place. Yes, it didn't work out, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work out here. So we still have to see how it transfers on the court. But but what the Rebels have added so far with Jordan McCabe is they get they get more ball handling and more decision making in that backcourt. And then with the other three, you, you add athleticism and size uh, in your front court and on the wing and. Uh, I know Kevin Kruger. I mean, it feels like every coach says they want to play fast, right? We want to get up and down. We want to take great shots. We want to take care of the ball. But he's bringing in personnel that you would think fits that vision where you can get up up tempo a little bit more. You have a little bit more athleticism. You have a little bit more size. You have a bit, little bit uh, more, more matchups that you could throw defensively at opponents on the perimeter and inside. So um, they're, they're, they're not done. The job's not finished. He needs to continue to, to bring in a couple more transfers. Uh, because they do have some open slots available, but it's going to be a brand new team, almost entirely a brand new team with with a handful of of uh, contributors last year that are that are sticking around, and uh, it really feels like a, a, a team that, based on what we've seen and what we know about these guys, which again, like you said, DC isn't much, but feels like a, a team in terms of personnel that's suited for a, a fun style of basketball, and that's at least going to uh, be interesting this first year, and maybe maybe they maybe more than interesting. We'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. And we're seeing more and more coaches go this direction too, the transfer portal and bringing these these type of kids in. Uh, Eric Musselman was a perfect example. I mean, let's let's be yep. honest. This is how he he built Reno. He built Nevada with those guys, and that's what propelled them to the tournament. Then when he goes over to Arkansas, he did the exact same thing, and boom, look where they are again—a Sweet Sixteen team. So uh, I, I firmly believe that, that Kevin Kruger. Uh, can do that as well too. We even saw Scott Drew do that with Baylor. Yeah, it's it's the way to go, and, and you're bringing in uh, established, more established players who, who might just be in the need of an opportunity or a better fit. And, and certain coaches know how to get certain, maybe more out of certain guys, and, and have a different vision for how guys are used and, and, and things like that. So, um, like you said, you see, this is the norm. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And and Kevin Kruger understands the transfer portal as well as anybody else, given that he was you know, the, the, pretty much the first transfer uh, in college basketball to go that route when he transferred from Arizona State uh, to play for his father uh, at, at UNLV, kind of the grad transfer, you know, the transfer portal model that we, that we see now that's become so commonplace. So um, he, he's, I think his, his first couple weeks on the job really couldn't have gone much better for him. Yes, you lose, you lose your leading scorer and your most established player in Bryce Hamilton, but he's crafting the program and building it out the way he wants to. He's got a, a, a good staff around him. He's got Lon Kruger, uh, his dad. 
here to kind of lean on for, for support. And I can tell you, based on folks I've talked to that are close to the program and that have a vested interest in the program, there is a lot of excitement and optimism about what he's done so far. And, uh, and we're going to see what he continues to do these next couple of weeks as, as the portal continues to be active. Obviously, a lot of the old-timers in this town always talk about Jerry Tarkanian and the championship teams, and they need to get back to that. And obviously, that's very difficult to do. But is the transfer portal kind of a modern-day version of Tark going after junior college transfers and this like that, And but maybe even better because you've actually seen what these kids can do at the D1 level at programs and often from Power 5 conferences? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a fast track to, 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 to ignite your rebuild. I mean, you're bringing in – I mean, these are all guys with two and three years of experience in college basketball. You're bringing in mature guys that – are, you know, are we're in humbling situations where it, it didn't work out for them. It, 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 at least these four that are coming over from uh, to UNLV, it, they were not primary focal points of their respective programs. And I think they're all eager for an opportunity to come here and contribute. And, and being that they are veterans, they are a little bit more mature physically than maybe some of the younger guys. And I think it's a great place, a great way for Kevin Kruger to start building out his program as he establishes relationships uh, with high school recruits and high school players that he's going to be targeting. That's definitely going to be a big part of what he's going to do down the road. It's just that when you take over in March, it's a little late to build relationships with these some of these kids who have already been building established relationships with coaches the last couple of years. So uh, it's I think it's a, it's a smart approach. It's the right approach at this moment in time. And, uh, you know, getting back to the, the Jerry Tarkanian days, that's, that's yearning and, and har- uh, harking for a lot, but – but this is you can't get back to those days without at least getting competitive in the Mountain West first, right, and getting back to the top of the conference. And by bringing in established players that have, that have played and contributed to a degree at Big 12 programs, uh, I think that's a good place to start. Final thing on this, uh, Sam, the players that do remain off of this current UNLV roster, Nick Blake, Reese Brown, Moses Wood, and Marvin Coleman – um, do we expect all of these guys to stay, and are there going to be roles for these guys, or do you, do you like any of these guys for next year and years beyond? Yeah, I think there'll be roles for for all of them. Uh, I think if I mean at this point, um, you know, Kevin Kruger's had the job almost three weeks now, and uh, it, that you would probably see some some movement with these guys uh, at by this point if they were gonna were gonna leave. Uh, Bryce Hamilton's situation, I think, is a little, little bit different because of the NBA stuff and because uh, he wanted to get pro consideration. Uh, but in terms of having those guys stick around, I think, yeah, I think without a doubt they're going to be part of what the program is doing. Mar- you know, Marvin Coleman is a veteran uh, point guard that's played a lot of Mountain West minutes now and, and didn't get to play the entire uh, 2021 season but was a starter in, in, in 1920 and, and knows, uh, knows what he has to do at UNLV in order to lead a team. And, and Nick Blake was a – a former top hundred recruit that had power five, uh, that power five had power five offers coming out of high school. So I expect him to be in an even bigger role and take over as one of the primary scorers. And then you know Reese Brown is a is a young forward with a lot of upside. And Moses Wood kind of showcased what he could do as a spot up shooter and guy that can get out and transition a little bit. So he's already transferred you know once himself. Um, don't don't think he don't think he's dying to do it again uh, now that he's established himself here a little bit at UNLV. So. It's going to be about mixing the new with the old, figuring out how to work in these new guys, giving them the minutes and the opportunities uh, that were the basis for the recruiting pitch, but, but also continuing to develop the guys he has on the roster. Uh, I, I think he has, again, the right staff to do it. He, Kevin Kruger has been around basketball his entire life. He saw his dad develop talent and knows what it takes to succeed, knows what it takes to succeed at UNLV. And all things considered, given where the program was at you know, just a month ago or six weeks ago, I think he's in pretty good shape so far, and, and he's he's building a, sol- a solid foundation from which to expand on as he gets more and more entrenched in, in the job as the head coach. All right, Sam. Great stuff, man. I appreciate it, as always. He's a great follow on Twitter as well, too, by Sam Gordon, and check out all of his stuff at the uh, LasVegasReviewJournal.com. All right, my man. Good, good stuff, and we'll talk to you later. Uh, no doubt, TC. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Take care. There he is, Sam Gordon. All right. UNLV, the situation again. Uh, Kevin Kruger coming in, building his staff, uh, plucking people out of the transfer portal, specifically four Big 12 guys, two guys from Texas, one guy from West Virginia, one from Oklahoma. Uh, I got to say that I none of these guys are, are, are big-time players, but again, they're role players because they were young and they were on very good teams. You know, all teams that went to the NCAA tournament. This is the Mountain West. It's not the Big 12. 
do they fit into what Kevin Kruger wants to do? Obviously, probably so, because he's, he's handpicking these guys and say, hey, this is, these are the guys that we want to build around. You've got four or five guys that will probably remain in the program, but as a new head coach, you gotta you got to build on what you want to do. I'm sure he has his dad, Lon, in his ear, and, uh, and along with uh, you know his, his Lon's chief assistant uh, um, coming in there as well, too, saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to make this thing work. These are the type of guys we need. And I think as Rebel fans hear this, I think they're pretty excited about it because, again, it's, it's a little bit different. When you're getting transfers coming in from these Power 5 schools, T.G. Otzelberger wasn't doing that. He was bringing guys in with him from South Dakota State or you know, guys in from high school that were honestly you know, one- and two-star guys. There were no four- and five-star guys that were, that were coming into UNLV. Now, Marvin Menzies and Dave Rice, they had some of those guys. They had some potential one-and-done guys, and that's what kind of UNLV was used to. So... I like the where, where this is going. I like uh, the hire of Kevin Kruger, even though he hasn't been a head coach before. But again, it's the Kruger name, and I think this is a very positive move. And I know for me personally, I'm probably more excited about this coming UNLV season than I have been in the last few years. Yeah, I I, I like to hire Kevin Kruger. He seems like a good guy. I just hope that people don't have unrealistic expectations and think, well, we're getting all these guys from Power 5 conferences, so all of a sudden we're going to yeah. the tournament and we're going to make a run yeah. to the final. But yeah. you know how yeah. people are. They they read something. They hear about these guys coming. You know, Kevin Kruger probably knows them a little bit, even though he was at UNLV. He still knows that conference and that. He's brought in some people from Oklahoma as well that, that know that conference very well. So that's a that's a probably a bright spot but you also have to wonder too because and there's always turnover in college basketball but there is now the now you're getting turnover and you're getting new players in you're meshing a complete unknown unit together and trying to get them all to play as a team it's not like you're having five freshmen in because they all do have some experience and some college basketball experience but they haven't played together before they haven't been on the same team so his work is cut out for him and I just hope that UNLV is patient enough in that that they also give him the time. We just saw a team win a championship that gave a coach 18 years. Hopefully for UNLV it doesn't take 18 years before Kevin Kruger does the job that they want him to have because at UNLV I highly doubt that would be allowed. It's funny. I had that exact same conversation earlier today with uh, a UNLV booster and said the exact same thing. It's like, well, hope it doesn't take you know 18 years because we're using the Baylor – uh, situation as a comparison and no but you've got to realize that next year is going to be a struggle uh, you might be able to improve things in year two for Kevin Kruger and you will continue to to get people in and, and go to the high school route uh, as well too and again it, it has been tough especially during the pandemic to be able to recruit kids from high school because you haven't been able to go to their games so you really have to rely really on the transfer portal at this point in time and again, it's we've seen teams be very, very successful at grabbing kids and building programs through this. And like we said, most notably, we we saw it with uh, with Baylor. You know, we've we've seen it with other teams. We've we saw what Musselman did at, at Arena. We saw what he did at Arkansas. So it, it will take some time. And UNLV fans, you have got nothing to lose at this point in time. I know no one wants to be patient, but the bottom line is this program where we stand now is in better shape than it has been probably since Dave Rice was let go. That's my opinion, looking at it. And uh, I think you can make a strong case for that as well, too. It will take time. It takes three, four, five years to build a quality college basketball program and to show improvement. As long as they're showing improvement from year one to year two, from year two to year three, then be happy. And then again, and I do believe that – Kevin Kruger, if he does have success, then he will stay here. It could be a Scott Drew situation not to win a national championship. But I'm saying being able to hang with it, be patient, and stay where you want to be. Well, and, and again, I mean, I, I know we're talking about winning the national championship in the 18 years. And Mark Few still hasn't, he still hasn't won one. He's been pretty successful up there in Gonzaga. Who wouldn't take that type of program here yeah. at UNLV again or whatever? So, yeah, you know, it's what do you measure success by and do you give them the time to do it? The one thing that needs to stop if you only want if UNLV UNLV wants to get back to any kind of a semblance once again of being a power team in a mediocre to good conference. Mediocre. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no reason that this team shouldn't I don't want to say dominate, but certainly be in the running for the conference championship every single year. 
but you've got to give them time to do it, and you need stability. You can't have a coaching carousel every season or two or whatever because that's just not going to get it done. All right, when we come back, we'll give you a little Masters update, and also we've got updates in the NFL world too, I guess, so to speak. Uh, more Deshaun Watson news. We'll get you updated on that uh, as well too. And more information came out again today in, in regards to Tiger Woods' accident, so we'll touch that too coming up next. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. That's Ballpark Frank, ladies and gentlemen, on that uh, lead guitar. Where are you on drums on this song? I can't remember which one. You know, years ago when we used to do some contests at Pinkies, ah. uh, Mike Collada, who was DJing and hosting them back the, back in the day, used to tell people that I was the singer from Leonard Skinner. <laughs> and one night, these two guys insisted on buying me drinks. I'm like, dude, I'm not him. I've heard the story before. So, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I I enjoy Skinner very much, and there are people that think that I did look like one of the members of the band. How about this song? Great song, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Well, and and I'm sure Armando's happy because it's got a Boise, Idaho reference in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> little girl, what's your name? That takes us right into Deshaun Watson, doesn't it? Two judges have ruled that uh, most of the plaintiffs suing him must identify themselves. The, the rulings from two hearings on Friday cover 13 of the 22 lawsuits filed against Watson. Prior to today, only two women had publicly been identified. Now, Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, agreed that nine of the 12 women would publicly reveal their names by Wednesday after they told um, what, Judge Boosby that they could do it voluntarily. Regarding the other three women... Um, Judge Sultan Collier granted Harden's emergency motion requiring the release of their names. So we know that Ashley Solis, who publicly identified herself earlier this week, had received death threats for coming forward. Yeah, so, I, I, now she, I think ugh. she's also the one that uh, Watson's attorney claims that she was asking for $100,000 to hush it up before this whole thing mm-hmm. even got underway. Yeah. So 22 lawsuits right now. Yeah, tw- twenty-two and maybe counting, but it, it, it's going to get ugly. And there's going to be a lot of twenty-two for a while. It's you know we was it was escalating over the last week and a half every day. Yeah, so we'll, I mean we'll see where it goes, but it's yeah. I mean it's it's just it's it's a horrible story, hmm. and I don't know that we'll ever know the exact truth and what happens and whatever. But um, certainly a lot of trouble right now, and I don't know what. Uh, although in the big picture, this isn't as important. I don't know how any team takes a flyer and even looks at Deshaun Watson right now. No, no. And again, no one's really talking about that from a football perspective, but it's something that you have to look at here. And if, and, and you, you know, we say, he did it himself. He did this to himself. Again, being held to a higher standard, being the quarterback of an NFL football team, let's be honest, being one of the top eight or ten quarterbacks in the game today, you just don't put yourself in these type of situations. I don't care if you're a nobody like... You're right. doesn't matter. Like whoever. It, you shouldn't put yourself in these situations. Right. right. Because eventually this kind of stuff is going to come out with social media the way it is today. Um, it's, it's, it's bound to come out. And by him denying it from the beginning here, that is just another bad look here. But I think it's safe to say now that the NFL is involved, the NFL is conducting their investigation. Uh, sponsorships have already gone by the wayside. We talked about Nike yesterday and Rolex and, and some of the others. Lefties, cheesesteaks, there you go in Texas, all dropping Deshaun Watson. Uh, and now you have to, to look, okay, if you're the Houston Texans, you said that you wanted to keep this guy. You could have let him go. This nightmare could have been in your rearview mirror. But now you're going to have to deal with it, and you stuck by him. And the Houston Texans, their front office, their coaching staff, they've gone silent. And again, you got well, a, what are a, they going to say? You got you got a rookie coach here, and he goes, "Oh my, look look what I got myself into." You know, same thing with the new general manager. I mean, this situation again, it will only be a circus. You know who I feel sorry for? The players of the Houston Texans, because every time that you have something like this 
it just put you know infiltrates itself into the locker room. The Colin Kaepernick, I remember that situation, you know, vividly with the 49ers. I mean, if you were a 49er, you wanted this stuff to go away. Don't don't bring this in. You know, keep the media out. Can't keep the media out though. <laughs> They're all part of it. Every well, day. Well, you saw it at a lesser level yeah. when you were up in Green Bay with Brett and Aaron and the controversies about them oh, and yeah. different things like that. And that's certainly right. nothing this serious. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, all the players do have to talk about it. The people that I feel the most sorry for, if this is true, is the women that it happened to. Right. They're they're number one. And that, but yeah, but then there is a thing. Anybody on the Houston Texans right now, player, coach, front office, secretaries in the offices yeah. or whatever. Everyone's going to be asking them about it. And, and most of them, in fact, almost all of them probably don't know anything about it. Right. I had to deal with uh, something like this years ago. When, do you remember when the Darren Sharper news came out about what he did and he drugged those women and, and raped those women in California and then in Louisiana? And then and he was brought up in at least two states. He was long gone, obviously. His playing career was, was over at the time that the, the story broke and everything. But still in Green Bay, because he was a former Packer, I mean, that's people still wanted to talk about that. Hey, you know, well, weren't you in Green Bay when the uh, when the tight end problem with the high school girls was going on? No, I actually got there right after that. Right that, after that, that, yeah, that okay. was Mark Chamura. Yeah, Mark Chimura, but, but yeah. that was still and the a, hot tubs. It was and still the... a sticking point because you still had those players that were involved. Brett Favre was one of those guys that was at the party, and so that would come back. You know, like hey, you know, and, and him and Chewy were very very tight. And uh, but that that kind of played itself out, uh, and you know, Tremor at that point in time was doing radio actually in Milwaukee, so wasn't necessarily in Green Bay, but still it spilled over. So yeah, you you have these things that that are there, and it happens. And you know, then you know, of course you had the Brett Favre stuff when he was with the Jets for the one season too about you know showing his picture of himself. taking a selfie a little Brett. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I got, I got a little bit of experience with some of that stuff, but again, he was he was gone at, at that time. So, all right, we'll continue to monitor the Deshaun Watson uh, situation. Uh, Masters update before we uh, give you the leaderboard real quick with that. Uh, more news comes out with Tiger Woods, uh, the crash. The update from uh, February the twenty third, where investigators blame excessive speed. Say he was going between eighty three and eighty seven miles per hour. We touched on that yesterday on that downhill stretch. Well, today we get news that. Uh, he did not remember anything about the car wreck on the 23rd and believed that he was in the state of Florida. Maybe he thought he was going up to the Masters. Oh, jeez. He thought he was in Florida when a sheriff's deputy interviewed him at the Los Angeles area hospital moments after the accident. And that's not funny because obviously he was concussed or something oh, like absolutely. that. And again, going 87 miles per hour in a, what, a 45, in a 45 yeah. zone. So almost double yeah. the speed limit. Right. So here's what they came uh here's what came to light here. Twenty two pages of a traffic collision report was released by the LA County Sheriff's Department. Woods was at fault in this collision for driving at an unsafe speed for road uh, conditions, the inability to negotiate a curve in the roadway, an analysis of the data from the black box recorded in the SUV that Woods was driving. Uh, it concluded that the SUV was traveling in a straight line. No brakes were applied, and there was no steering input detected until some slight steering movement late in the recorded crash sequence. So it sounds like right towards the end when he realized that he was getting near the curb, maybe he tried to avoid it, but uh, it was too late to do anything then. And again, now, we pointed out before, at least it was reported before, that that is an area on that particular stretch of road where it has been known that a lot of people speed on it. Yeah. Now, probably not going 87 in a 45, but it is a place where they said that there's a lot of incidents with speeding in that. And if there's something to be thankful for, and you're right, it's not something to make light of when somebody is concussed like that. But, you know, thank goodness that nobody else was out walking their dog or jogging along the street or something like that because it could have been a lot worse. Very early in the morning, you know, when this happened as well, too. Right. Yeah. But which a lot of people... Uh, Before d- 7 a.m. Double B over at Cosmopolitan. That's when he's doing his bike rides and it's going true. out on the road and stuff. That's when a lot of people actually go off for their mm. morning runs and mm. walks and that kind of stuff. All right, Masters update. Uh, For the most part, two rounds complete now in Augusta. Justin Rose, who uh, had a great round uh, yesterday, shoots even par today, but he is the leader in the clubhouse at seven under par. Will uh, uh, Zelatoris 
is six under par. Brian Harmon is six under as well, too. And uh, some golfers uh, making moves today. Uh, Jordan Spieth has shot four under today. So he is sitting two shots back of Rose at five under par. And, uh, and also, my boy Cameron Champ, four under today. So he had an even round yesterday, so he's in striking distance. What's his current odds? 300 to 1. What's that? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I, I tried to look during the break of the current odds, and I wasn't able to get that up on, on the app right now. So I, I can't find, you know, and maybe yeah. they'll the wait to the end of the day before Sh- they adjust. show's almost over. Yeah. You can get it up right at the end. Yeah, yeah great. Thanks a lot. There it is. Uh, I would be sick to my stomach because I, I seriously thought about that when, you know, TJ Reeves You're going to look at him right now, it's going to be 30 to 1. Yeah. It's hard to bet the futures, though. It's hard to bet because you're competing against over 200 people, like we talked about with Chuck Esposito yesterday. Nostradamus said it was his favorite bet. Yeah, right. (laughs) Unbelievable. You know another thing that you can't bet on, my friend? WrestleMania. You can't bet on WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. Where's the pomp and circumstance music for our next guest? Where's that at, Chuck? I'm here in a tune that I like. (laughs) Mott. Macho Madness in the house. Yeah. What's going on, Macho? TC stands for too cool. Yeah, what's up, brother? Yeah. Yeah, don't forget, Macho, it's too cold. It's too cold to be told. Get it right. I know you've always said oh. that back in the day, too cool, and I appreciate that, but that's good, man. I appreciate yeah. that you remembering that. Too hot that. to handle. Too hot to handle. Too cold to hold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. A little Ghostbusters 2 action there. Bobby uh-huh. Brown, listen to you. Macho Madness, are, are you excited for WrestleMania? Or do you, do you, you know, again, you, you're, you're, you're not in the ring anymore. How do you feel about this? Well, I was excited about WrestleMania. WrestleMania 3, that is. Yeah. But Take, uh, take me back, change. Macho. Take me back. Take all of our listeners back. Because I'm like you, man. You know, again, you know, people think just because I, I promoted back in the day that I'm still into it. But no, I had to cut it off, man. I had to cut it off because those right. were the glory days. Take us back to WrestleMania three, brother. Well, let me tell you something, man. I started watching wrestling. It was the very first WrestleMania that I ever watched. All right. It was the first time that I've ever even watched wrestling. And then uh, seeing wrestling change over the years, uh, you know, uh, I pretty much stopped right around uh, the end of the Attitude Era, man. It was like, uh, you know, it changed too much for me, man. I wasn't uh, wasn't into it anymore, man. You know, just like you, a lot of old school guys, man, they understand what we're talking about. Yeah. But this new generation, man, they don't even understand how good it was back then. They don't even understand that the matches were a story. Now it's just about, you know, oh, did you see that move that this person did? You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's lost its whole uh, the whole meaning of it, man. Well, and you when know? you're when you're talking about something like that too, people used to have a finishing move. Nowadays, you see people right. use their finishing move, and everybody always gets up from it, and they have to do four or five finishing moves before the match is actually finished. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly, man. It's like uh, you know how many moves can you no sell? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And that's that's not telling the story at all, man. All that is is let me get all my shit in, you know. Can so I say l- that? let me yeah, you just did. Uh let me let me <laughs> let me ask you, why do you think we are where we're at with wrestling today? Why is that? Because now, I mean, the technology, the 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 the, the people that they can bring in are, you know, the writers, I mean, these guys are professionals and this and that. Just seems like sometimes they're just not connected to the way it was. And you know, people view us like, okay, get off my lawn, we're old, this and that. But you're right, you hit the nail on the head. There's just so many differences. And it lost it for me. You know, people are going to say, well, why? The, the pyrotechnics thing. When it went to the starting to go into the pyrotechnics and more about being the show and being there and this and that, it was, it, the storylines were lost, the characters were lost, the interviews, the art of the interviews were lost, all of that stuff. It just went by the wayside for me. So, yeah, I do appreciate people like yourself who who can you know see for what it was and where it is now, but I still don't know much why it got to where it is. And well, why. here's the deal, man. I think what happens is, uh, you know, over the years, you know, generations change and everything changes. Everything evolves. You know what I mean? Um, just like before I started watching wrestling and, uh, you know, uh, I started watching the Hulk Hogan days. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, 
I, I really have no interest in the Bruno San Martino days. And other people, you know, like my dad will say that, uh, you know, when it when it started, the whole, the whole Hulk Hogan and the whole, like, rock and wrestling thing, that that's when it went, you know, down the drain. I disagree. You know what I mean? So everybody, I think, as the generations change, the product changes. And now, because of the way the you know, today's generation is, we don't really have to uh, say much about that. I think you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, these kids today, I hate to sound like an old guy, but the kids today, you know, they're all into video games, right, and all that stuff. And so, like, if they're doing a if they're doing a match that looks like a video game and they're just doing cool moves and then pop it up and then, you know, that's what that's what today's matches look like to me. It looks like a video game, you know what I mean? And they're not wrestling to, for a win; they're wrestling for points. You know, they're wrestling for, uh, you know, uh, for the oohs and the ahs, man. And, and there's no, uh, and therefore there doesn't have to be a, a character. You know, I I could get behind a character that can't wrestle at all. You know what I mean? I can't get behind somebody without a character that can wrestle great. It's just, uh, you know, that's not entertainment. That's just, you know. It's like, uh, hey, I live in Vegas, man. If I want to see a Cirque show, I'll go see a Cirque show. You know what I mean? Well put, man. Well put. You right. know, w- you know, with the nostalgia, people do like to look back fondly of those days, and I think you know that's exactly why we see the series on Vice, Dark Side of the Ring, because it takes us back and and, and tells the stories of those old characters. How how close have you been watching that series of Dark Side of the Ring? Actually, man, I really, really like the, uh, the Dark Side of the Rings. Um, you know, I haven't watched them all because if it's something that I'm not really uh, interested in, in learning about, um, you know, then I won't really uh, care to, to know the story. Yeah, I'm saying for way. the most part, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, most of the stories I am into. So I've watched, you know, I mean, of course, the Owen Hart one was great. That they had to do, uh, they had to do two. Uh, didn't they do like a, a two part thing for that one? Yeah, I know they yeah. did for the Chris they, Benoit as well, and which was oh, really – That was Benoit. Yeah, yeah, Chris yeah, Benoit right, was right. the two-parter, yeah. Right, right. right. Okay, yeah, that's the one. I'm, yeah, that was great. I really liked that one probably the most, and I think most people did like that one the most and the Owen Hart one. But, you know, uh, just to – I think that people uh, people were interested, you know, whether they were pissed uh, at the whole situation or uh, – you know, they believed he did it. They believed he didn't do it, whatever. It was still an interesting story to hear from people that knew him and people that were with him the day before and people that were, you know, in contact with him the day before. And um, I really think that uh, most of the ones that I've seen, you know, are uh, – I'm trying to think of the ones that I didn't watch that I didn't really care too much about. Did you uh, see the one on New Jack? No. Yeah, because no. um, just the story yeah. of his whole career would be. I mean, if you want it, you might not be interested before you see it, but you won't believe the stuff that he did in the ring and how he changed the entire wrestling, hardcore, and everything else. And how that guy is not in jail is beyond me. Well, we know why he's right. Not, yeah, we know why he's not in jail because again, the the guy didn't you know press the charges. But well, one of the guys, but one of the, there's several incidents. But he beat up a guy that was 72 years old know, and said he tried to kill him I for know. crying out yeah, loud. And, and a 17 year old kid. I know it's ridiculous. Yep. But I, well, I, mass, I, mass transfer. Right. I'm with I'm with uh, with Mach here because uh, same thing. I was really never into you know that character, New Jack, because that was kind of after the time. I mean, he was in ECW, and I was like, okay, I, I don't care, but. Uh, I had some some brief conversations with him about coming to, to, to wrestle for me, but I really didn't care. But you, you said, wouldn't I, believe I, just I the interviews yeah. that he did in Smoky know, Mountain wrestling. Oh, before. I know, I know. But that it got my attention, wow. and as much as I heard about it, I said I better go back and watch it. But but the best one that they ever did was the very first one, the very first episode, uh-huh. of Dark Side of the Ring. We know which one that was, don't we, Mach? Yeah, I think I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, that was that was the that great was one. very interesting. Yes. That was very interesting. But you know something, man, I do feel like uh some of the facts were not uh mm. were not fact checked. All right. Tell 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 it tell you us. What, I mean? what wasn't what wasn't right about Randy Poffo, Randy Savage, and the Miss Elizabeth there? Well, here's the thing, man, is that uh what people don't understand and uh and it, maybe it's just my own uh take on thing, but Randy Savage was never ever out of character. 
if he was out in public, he was Randy Savage. Yeah. Be- behind closed doors, he was Randy Poffo. Because I know too many people who knew him personally. And I mean people that were really close to him. That could tell you a whole different side of him. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, what they don't understand is what you see on the video scope, when you see, uh, you know, how... Uh, how dominant he was and how, like, uh, you know, verbally abusive he was with Elizabeth and, you know, especially in the early days. Um, you know, that was all, man, is like, don't you get it? Just like everybody else you're seeing on TV, it's a character, you know? So why he did such a good job as the character that people automatically said that that was him in real life. And what people don't understand, and again, this is just my take because I wasn't there, but... What people are saying when he was backstage and he would lock Elizabeth in the uh, dressing room and this and that and the way he would talk to her and everything, guess what? They weren't behind closed doors. They were in, in, you know, they were in the dressing room. Therefore, even his friends, man, Mm -hmm. they they were, they were not, you know, they were not in on it, man. He, he was, uh, he kept kayfabe from everybody. And I guarantee you that he was a completely different person with Elizabeth and with with his family. I mean, you hear stories about how he was with his family. You hear stories about how he was with, um, you know, with kids and uh, how how generous he was with with the charities and stuff like that. Does that sound like the same guy that would be, uh, you know, like the character? I know, and that's that's the, that's the thing about uh, you know when you put these things together, you try to get it as accurate as you can, and you talk to as many people as you can. But we'll, you know, that was a great one. All right, my man, we gotta uh, get rolling here. Uh, have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy WrestleMania 37, and uh, you're going to be watching it. And uh, we will reconvene with you very soon. Great stuff, Mach. I appreciate you, brother. All right, man. Let's do it again. You got that right. There he is, little Macho right. Man. Go check him out. He's a great follow on Twitter Ooh, as well, too. Yeah. <laughs> follow right. me on social media, Macho Man, M-O-T-C-H-O Man, with two N's. Yeah, do it. Perfect. Thank you, brother. Be cool. All right, there All he right. is. Appreciate him joining us, WrestleMania. Enjoy it. Come Saturday and Sunday. His cousin, Leaping Lenny, Lenny <laughs> Poffo, didn't quite get the same stardom as he did. <laughs> be his brother. Would be his cousin? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? All right, I just miss- remember Leaping Len- Lenny Poffo. Yeah, they were brothers. All right, if you uh, miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Uh, thanking Sam Gordon for joining us today. Pete Gillen as well, too. Macho Man, appreciate you. Yeah. For Ballpark Frank, TC saying so long. We're back at it Monday, 2 o'clock. Yeah.